All right, guys, if you would, uh, go ahead and find uh, Luke 22, and we'll stand and do our scripture reading. Once you find it, please stand. Luke 22, and this is uh, the Word of God, says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, uh, for they were afraid of the people. And skip on down to verse 7 there. It says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one who is betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves uh, which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. All right, guys, as the kids go out, uh, I'll ask you to also turn to Exodus 12, and that's where we're actually going to start uh, this morning. So just to kind of give you a heads up on where we're going and how I want to communicate this. Um, we're going to be talking about the table today. Um, I know the last few times uh, I preached, not necessarily specifically, uh, but we talked about being a people of the book uh, and a people that fears God. And today, uh, kind of focus is we should be a people of the table. And so where I'm going to start at is kind of talking about how people were in the Old Testament and now once... Uh, of course, uh, with the salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, what type of people we should be. 
and that is a people of the table and remembrance and not just remembrance but also you know a um, longing for uh, the coming of Christ as well but uh, back in the Old Testament uh, it's kind of different to go back and look at uh, what the people did to really uh, show their devotion to God or to worship God um, and if you go back and look I'm just going to read uh, a lot of these verses. You don't have to turn there because I have a ton. I'll probably cut out some of them. But uh, people erected a altar before God. Uh, you see it all through. You, you know, we all think normally of the altar at the temple and, and you know the tabernacle and things like that. But individual people actually erected a altar uh, before God and, and performed sacrifices there. Um, so. If you look at it, um, with these sacrifices or these burnt offerings, they used uh, specifically clean animals and clean birds, especially with the Mosaic community. Um, they would, that's a volunteer sin offering for their own sins. Uh, and it was an act of thanksgiving and worship um, in joint with also their peace offerings. So the burnt offering and peace offering all work together for uh, the worship. And we see that starting at the very beginning in Genesis 8, 20. Uh, it says, uh, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some kind of uh, clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Again in Genesis 12, 7, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, uh, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord uh, who had appeared to him. And again, he moved um, in verse 8. It says, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So apparently it was a big deal. Uh, to make sure they were able to worship God, they had their altar. Uh, Jacob builds an altar um, in Genesis 35. Uh, he moves again, builds another altar. Um, Moses builds an altar in Exodus 17, uh, says in verse 15, and Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And then again, he also did it um, in Exodus 24, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with the 12 memorial stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see these kind of what we would consider as these you know, fathers of the faith were very adamant about having an altar wherever they were at to be able to worship God. Uh, Joshua builds an altar in, in uh, Joshua 8.30. It says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Uh, Saul builds an altar, 1 Samuel 14. Uh, and Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. David, of course, builds an altar. Um, and not only that, uh, God actually commanded the people to tear down altars of pagan gods. Uh, and we find that in Exodus 23, 24, it says, You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, uh, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their memorial stones in pieces. 34, Exodus 34:13 says, But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their memorial stones and cut down their Asherim. Deuteronomy 12, 1 says, These 
are the statues and the judgments which you shall carefully follow in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you are on earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you are going to dispose, who going to possesses that serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, and on, under every leafy tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their memorial stones to pieces, and burn their sherems in the fire, and cut to the pieces the carved images of their gods. You shall eliminate their name from that place. We find it again in Judges 6, 25. It says, Now on the same night the Lord said to them, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down their Asherah that is, that is beside it. So obviously this was a very important thing to God, that people of God have their altar so they could worship Him. And it was also to tear down the altars that were not to, that glorifying God and not worshiping God. So this was very um, known of the people, you know, that, hey, I need to worship God, and the only way to do that, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be shedding of blood for my sins, so I'm going to build an altar so I can do that. And it was normally just, like it says, tearing down the stones. They were normally just stone altars at this point. Now we know at the temple, you know, the tabernacle, they were made of different things. But uh, these personal ones were just simple, um, simple metal, uh, wood stone, or stone altars. Now, we in the 1900s, I guess, uh, we've grew up hearing about this front of the church, maybe having a, a pew or something down here. We would refer to that as an altar. And that comes from the 1800s by a guy named Charles Finney, who literally, he said that if I can get your children to the altar, I can almost guarantee their salvation. And this was the anxious bench that most people refer to it as. Uh, Billy Graham used the same language as an altar call uh, coming down, but really has nothing to do with anything of the Old Testament altars. Um, but that's kind of the mindset that we have. Oh, it's just somewhere you go and pray at the end of service. Not what God had intended it to be or not what it was in the biblical times. Uh, but that's kind of the mindset we have around the altar. Um, we don't really think of it as, or I don't necessarily think of it as, a place where there was a sacrifice. There was a shedding of blood. Uh, and it was for the remission of sin and to worship their God. Uh, and so that's kind of the mindset we need to have whenever we have altar. I wish we could erase the whole altar call and altar up at the front of the church because that's, that's a very uh, easy and nice picture of an altar. Uh, their altars would have been bloody and nasty and disgusting because it would have represented their sin and what had to be uh, done for the forgiveness of their sin. So now if you're in Exodus 12, uh, we're going to look at it now. Um, Another thing that the people of the Old Testament were sure to do and sure to be a people of was the Passover. Uh, they were doing that in remembrance, of course, of the um, release from Egypt's bondage. But we're just going to read about it a little bit um, in Exodus 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of the months for you. 
uh, it is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregations of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take uh, some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses of which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roast it with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn it with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses uh, where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this was the very first Passover, of course. And we see throughout the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, the Passover, where people, or the unleavened bread. Uh, the Passover is kind of like one event in the uh, Unleavened Bread Festival. Um, but if you look at it, you can look and see, okay, these people on the very first night were not just looking for Egypt to be destroyed, but God told them, eat it with your uh, loins girded up and your sandals on. It was a, hey, we're getting out of here. You know, it wasn't just something in the past that they were looking at. Yeah, they're looking to put Egypt behind them, but they were looking to move forward and go into uh, their own land that they've been promised. And we know this was 430 years after God told them, hey, you're going to be in captivity for 430 years. And then to the day, it was 430 years for them to walk out of Egypt. So, um, you know, these are very... You know, if you, we think about being under bondage for 430 years, it's something to be remembered when you get released, right? And that's exactly what they did throughout the Old Testament. They always remember back to where God delivered them, okay? Not only did He deliver them from the Egyptians, but He also delivered their firstborn from the, the death that night. Uh, because when He saw the blood, He passed over their houses, which is also, of course, a a reference to Christ that would come and be our, you know, Passover lamb. And so all these things that are leading up to the one final sacrifice, the perfect lamb that's going to take away the sins of the earth, sins of the world, sins of all mankind. And so 
the Jerusalem or the Jewish people were looking back at the Passover, and they were doing this faithfully as a people, and they were a people of the altars and people of the Passover. And so what about now? What about us? Well, we see in Luke uh, 2, actually, not in 22, but in Luke 2, Jesus' family is going to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. The Passover meal had to be eaten within inside the walls of Jerusalem. So Jesus' family is on their way. You know, this is where they look around and say, well, wait, where's Jesus? We've lost him here. Um, but then if you go on to 22, which is where I want to spend uh, the remainder of uh, the time, because uh, I want to look at what now we as the people of Christ, Christians, should be a people of. We're not of the altar. We're not of the Passover. We are a people of the table because of what that table represents. So I've already read it, so I'm just going to kind of jump into the verses. Um, and once again, Jesus here, you know, has got it all laid out. Um, the pa Passover was a very carefully ordered ritual. Uh, the meal reminded them of what happened that night. They ate the bitter herbs. Of everything that went back to the first, um, the first Passover, they did it as much as they could to mimic that. And it was to show the redemption from Egypt there. Uh, normally in the Jewish home, the youngest child would ask, well, what does this mean? Why is this not any different than any other night? That was just kind of the tradition of the Passover. And so the family or the father would normally explain again what the Passover was. And they tell me, you know, this is the remembrance of God's covenant. Well, now with the table, we remember the new covenant. You know, the blood, the Passover lamb. Of course, now we have Christ as our Passover. The one final sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And then, of course, there was the elements. Like I said, the bitter herbs that they would take and eat with their meal. Well, we have the elements of the cup and the bread that we look at. And it's also a continuous celebration of the Passover. And once again, we're going to do this until we die, at least, or until the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, Jesus says, I'm not going to partake of this uh, vine, I'm not going to partake of this cup until the kingdom of God has come. And most people are in agreement that that is at the, the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will partake of it uh, probably once and finally for all. Um, because then we will be truly uh, with Christ. And we won't be a need of remembrance anymore of His death. So we'll be there with Him. So looking at these elements, um, you know, there, a lot of it goes into it. Um, this night, especially this first Passover uh, the Lord's Supper, um, it had to play out just right. And Jesus sets it all up. He's got it all planned out. He's going to be that sacrifice. Uh, but it was interesting in studying it. Uh, you know, we normally don't look at um, the table in depth. Um, and then we normally don't talk about Passover unless it's Easter. It's not Easter. So I really want to take the time, especially since we've been on this worship uh, series that Joey had went through for several weeks and really talk about what this table means and what it represents for us. Um, but just looking at these verses, Jesus tells them in verse 8, he tells Peter and John, 
Remember, this is the first day of unleavened bread, uh, which is the pass. The Passover kind of starts that. Uh, and he says, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. Now, what does all that mean? You remember what we read there in uh, the first Passover, how they were supposed to cook and, and eat and how quick they were supposed to eat it? That's what he's referring to there. You know, he can't, they can't go and they can't cook it with, with water. They can't boil any of it. So they've got to go and kind of get all this stuff prepared, get the fire going and, and get everything ready. So that's the reason why he's telling them to go and prepare it. And they're like, well, where do you want me to go prepare it? You know, it's not like it's just a small family. You know, the disciples are going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. So it's going to be a huge feast, basically. Uh, where are we going to go and do that? And Jesus says, I've already got it planned out. When you enter the city in verse 10, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, follow him into the house that he enters. You're like, wait a second. How are you going to pick out a guy carrying a water bottle? Well, it's not necessarily the way it was back in the day, okay? It was not normal uh, that you would see a man carrying the water. That was the women that did that in their culture. They were always the ones to go and draw the water and carry it back to their house. So to see a man doing this is going to stick out like a sore thumb, okay? You know, it's going to be very, like, why is this guy carrying around a water pitcher? That's not normal. So it's probably a little bit, definitely going to be easy for them to find this guy. And then they follow him back into their house. Well, once he gets in there, he, they're going to tell him, say, hey, the teacher said to basically give us your guest room. Where is this guest room that we're going to eat of the Passover meal? Which is, once again, we think that's kind of weird, but that's common because everybody had to partake of the Passover meal inside the Jerusalem city limits, okay, inside the wall. So people had to offer up their guest room in places so that other families that lived outside of the city could come inside and eat. So this is not as odd uh, to them as it would be for us in today's time. So they're going in there, and he says, you know, I've got the upper room, which is probably the exact same upper room that it talks about in Acts, because it specifically says the upper room in Acts. So it's probably in the exact same place that they partake of this meal. So he goes and shows them, and notice that it's a furnished upper room. He says to prepare it there. Now what does it mean to be furnished? We're not talking about, you know, couches and, you know, refrigerators and that type of stuff. What he meant was there's everything there for you to be able to partake of the Passover meal in the correct way. So you've got to have a place to do all the roasting because you've got to roast this stuff. And so there's places for a table for you to sit at. You would always want to, um, at this time, people probably had some chairs and benches that they sat at at a table. Uh, but for the Passover meal, like I said, they try to make it resemble everything like the first one. So they would eat laying down. That's what it meant by reclined. They would eat with their, you know, their face at the table and their feet kind of stuck out behind them. So everything here is laid out perfectly for them to uh, partake of this Passover meal. And so the hour comes in uh, verse 14. It says, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I supper. So Jesus knows he's about to suffer on the cross. says, I'm so looking forward to us partaking of the table. 
And I think that's the way we should come into it. I know I don't all, all the time. I, you know, um, coming before the table, it's not like, yes, we get to partake of the table. But Jesus says, this means so much to the people of Jerusalem and how they, the Hebrew people were, were released from Egypt's bondage that I want to partake of it. But there's something special about tonight. We're about to do away with all of that. And in the, this new covenant, we're going to give you something else to do that not only helps you look back to the one sacrifice that takes away the sins, as, or as you know, John says, there comes the Lamb, the one that's going to take away the sins of the world, but it's going to also look forward to a time where we're going to reunite again because I'm about to leave you. I'm about to suffer. I'm about to go away from you, but we will be united again. So it's not only a looking back for us, but it's also a looking ahead. It says in verse 16, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so once again, once everything wraps up and we sit down at the marriage uh, table, I believe we're going to look back and say, everything is completed now. We are together again and we have no need uh, necessarily to partake of this again because we are together. We, I don't see us partaking of it after that. I think that will be a new era that will be, uh, you know, just like this is going to be a new era. We're getting rid of the Passover and then uh, now we're in the new covenant and being a people of the table. I think there's going to be a, another glorious thing that we're going to partake of uh, with each other in, in glory. So um, moving on, it says, and then of course we have these elements. Um, just like every element in the uh, Passover meant something, we simply have two things, the cup and the bread. Now, of course, there were specific ways uh, that you took of the Passover. There's actually four cups that people uh, had to drink in the orders uh, in, to f not fulfill, but to, to go along with the tradition. And so we really don't know exactly which cup it was. Everybody says it's either probably the first or the third, but it doesn't matter because ours is about Christ. It's not about remembering the Passover anymore. It's about the blood that's being spilled. And so we have the blood and the bread. Um, and he, he, you know, he does say, you're gonna take this and share it among yourselves. And I've heard several different people uh, talk about how probably what they did is pass around one pitcher and everybody shared of that one pitcher. It very well could have happened that way, but it very well could have happened where they did distribute it out into smaller cups for each. We really don't know. Uh, it, and it could have been done both ways. It's not necessarily a wrong way and a right way. Um, but the main thing is not necessarily that tradition that they had, but to really focus in on what the elements represent. And of course, we have the crazy ideas of the blood you know, actually being turning into Jesus' blood and the, the bread turning into Jesus' body. Well, how weird would that have been that night? If he would said, you know, this is my body. No, that's your body. We, we see you. You're in your body. It can't be your body because you're still here. And it's just like when he says, I am the vine. He's not a real vine, right? He, you know, so of course we can bash on these denominations that go to the very extreme of these things, but just look at it in a practical sense. Jesus, you know, claimed to be certain things a lot of different times and nobody says, okay, he was really a vine or he was really a gate. No, he wasn't. Okay. 
So we believe this to be an element, you know, something that is representative of uh, the body of Christ and him being broken. That's the reason why it's broken. It's, if you looked into how it's made, it is pierced uh, and it is broken. Uh, and that's the reason why uh, I'm glad that we do it now where we have people in the body that actually makes it for us. And so we can actually see uh, the piercings and we see it broke like that. It's not just individual little squares. It looks like somebody squirted it out onto a pan and cooked it. No, it was actually had to be broken. Um, so once we get through all these elements um, that is so uh, dear to us, you know, we look back and say, what is the bitter herbs? You know, that type of stuff. We really don't know because we didn't experience it. Our fathers didn't experience that. We now look and see the cup as the blood that had to be spilt. We know that there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. There's no other way. Happened ever since the beginning of time with Adam. When Adam sinned, they went and tried to make themselves coverings of leaves. Was not sufficient. God made coverings of flesh, which means there had to be a shedding of blood. And we still look at that today with the, with the, the table. So we've got the blood for the remission of sins. We've got the body that had to be broken of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to talk about two different things quickly. We see the sign. You know, it's not just a visible representation with, with the elements, but it's symbol of the Lord's death and what that means to us. It symbolizes even in partaking of it that the believers are participating in the crucifixion of Christ and the life and the resurrection. And in that we say we are a believer. We are making a profession when you partake of the, the elements. You have, you're confessing that I believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why in uh, Corinthians it talks about you need to be careful when partaking of this. That people are asleep, or another word for dead, because they've partaken of these things in a wrong manner. If you're a believer, you're welcome to partake of it. But if you're not, you better not. And so we, we see this as not only just the elements of the body, but they mean things. And it's also our allegiance to Christ and that we will continue to be obedient and do this and remember Him until He comes again for us. Okay? It's not only a sign uh, that looks back, but it also looks forward to that day. And it's also a seal. And I'm just going to read this from Burkhoff because I, I couldn't put it in, in better terms. It says, It gives believing partakers the assurance that they are the objects of the great love of Christ revealed in His self-surrender to, self to a bitter and shameful death, that all the promises of the covenant and all the riches of the gospel are theirs and even that the blessings of salvation are theirs in actual possession. So we can actually take hold of what it meant for, God, for God's Son to shed His blood and to give up His body for us. And so I want us to really think about these things when we come before the table, like we're going to shortly. You know, this is not just a thing that we come in and do. In Korea, we did it every Sunday. And honestly, I was not a... Before I went there, I was not a proponent of doing it every Sunday. I thought it would get into a, 
just a basically a ritual, just something to check off the box, and you would kind of just do it very flippantly. I didn't find myself doing that, at least. Now, I'm not saying I come to the table eager like Jesus did, but I think it's something that's very important and that we need to be very conscious and very adamant about doing. Okay, This is not just a part of the service that we walk through and say we've done it. No, this is us taking in our hand the representation of Christ's shed blood for our sins and His body that had to be broken. And we're doing it, one, in worship to Him, two, in obedience to do what He called us to do. And we will do it until we die. Okay? So, uh, as the men uh, come forward for us to partake of the, of the table, uh, we are to be a people of the table. This is what we do in honor and worship of our Lord Jesus Christ's shed blood. Let's pray.